All right, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. This will be our, let's see, 25, 25th, part 25. So that'll be, let me see, make sure. Yeah, part 25. Yeah, so that this will be a 25 hours we've spent on Matthew 24 now. Um, a lot of work we have done. I'm not going to ask you to remember anything, but go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. We started off by establishing what, for some weird reason, uh, sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon just overlooks. Everyone seems to forget. The context of Matthew 24 is extremely simple. It's very straightforward. Jesus walks out of the temple. His disciples walk to him and say, see all of these buildings? And Jesus says, all of these buildings are going to be destroyed. And they are like, wait, what, when, where, how? And he begins to give them the signs pointing to the destruction of that temple. To this day, I still don't understand how people take these signs about war, rumors of war, and all of this, and apply it to the second coming, because, first of all, that would make absolutely no sense, because there have been so many wars, so many earthquakes, and so many of these things happening since 33 AD, that the signs would absolutely have no significance and no meaning at all. They would have lost all meaning, but they would have a lot of meaning between 33 AD and 70 AD because that's a short period of time, right? Isn't that amazing how that works, okay? That, 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 it, it should be pretty simple, but for some weird reason, everyone acts like, they may say something like, well, yeah, it, it, it has something to do with 70 AD, and then immediately say, but, but really, it's about the future, it's the future, the future, and they never establish that it's the future. They just dogmatically assert that it is, and then we're supposed to interpret it with that frame of mind. We've called that into question. So we started working through all of these signs, right? And we had no problem proving 4 through 14 all happened before 70 AD. Then we came to verse 15, the abomination of desolation, and we clearly demonstrated that that could have been fulfilled in 70 AD Okay, I think there was no problem establishing that, but everyone then immediately screams, wait, 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 what about 2 Thessalonians? What about 2 Thessalonians? And well, the problem with 2 Thessalonians is it was written when? Before 70 AD, and it mentions a temple, and it mentions someone's going into a temple, and guess what? That all happened before 70 AD. In fact, we have the name of the individuals. We have everything that they did. We, I think we clearly established that there's a good chance that we can interpret a good portion of 2 Thessalonians as applying to 70 AD. All right. So, but even without 2 Thessalonians, this would still, verse 15, in the context, would point to 70 AD. You have to have something other than that. So then we have uh, all the fleeing that is supposed to occur starting at verse 16. Once again, that would fit perfectly with 70 AD. And the reason we even think it fits better, what's one of the reasons we think verse 16 and all of this fleeing fits even better uh, to 70 AD than it would in modern times? Yeah, but there's a, there's a reason we thought that this fits better at that point in time. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's not a review question. That's not a review question. That's just a basic reading comprehension. Okay. Because they're told, I hope it doesn't happen on the Sabbath day. That doesn't have a lot of, that doesn't have a lot of focus on now, but that would have fit perfectly in 70 AD in Judea, Jerusalem. That would have made perfect sense. Yes. Okay. All right. So that, so that is another reason we go with that. All right. Then verse 21, we've acknowledged 21 is a major problem. We don't quite understand it, but for when for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor uh, ever shall be. All right. We do acknowledge that's a little problem. So we thought possibly, is it possibly verse 21 jumps to something future? We can't be dogmatic, but we, we have some, some issues with it. The problem is the preterists seem to skip, skip it. Basically, every position, when they come to a verse that's difficult, they do what? They just skip it, which <laughs> that's, 
Yeah, that's the easy way. I wish we could do that. All right. Uh, verse 22, except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false, prof- false Christ and false prophets. All of that happened related to 70 AD. But then we, uh, we hear that uh, they shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that it were possible they should deceive the very elect. There were some false Christ and false prophets supposedly doing signs and wonders, according to Josephus, around this time. So once again, would not be a major issue. Uh, verse 25, Behold, I have told you before, before if they shall say unto you, He is in the desert, go not forth. He's in a secret chamber. All of that, again, makes sense. Uh, verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now that's a very important verse. All right? Because this clearly, he's, he, they're using this to say to the disciples, hey, when all of this is happening, 70 AD, the destruction of the temple, if someone says Jesus is there, Jesus is there, don't believe it, and why shouldn't you believe it? Because it will be obvious when Jesus comes back. All right, that's, that's pretty significant. Verse 28, for, where, for wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. That could very much apply to 70 AD, because what was the symbol of the Romans? The eagle. So that would fit perfectly with 70 AD as they slaughtered. I mean, if you read Josephus, I mean, they killed so many people, they got tired of killing people. It was, it was horrible destruction. And then we come to verse 29, which where we really definitely have problems. Immediately, first, the first problem. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. All right, let's go through this. Let's establish all of the problems. What is problem number one, according to verse 29? What's problem number one we face when reading verse 29? Immediately after the tribulation. Well, the, 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 the first issue, well, let's do it this way. The first issue is, this says after the tribulation of those days, right? So this would mean, that if you believe this is referring to some future period of time, some refer to as the tribulation or the great tribulation, what he's getting ready to, to describe happens after. If you even apply it to 70 AD, this would describe what happens after. So in either case, it says after the tribulation. That poses a, what, what kind of problem would this be? A chronological problem, a timing problem, all right? Now, and again, when you, when you go to people who believe that this is future because they don't care to worry about 70 AD, guess what they have a tendency to, they forget this because it doesn't fit their, it doesn't, for, it doesn't fit. When I reviewed the MacArthur sermon, he's like immediately after the tribulation, he focuses on everything in the rest of the verse. Then he goes to Revelation 6 or 9 to prove it. I'm like, but that's not after the tribulation. <laughs> that's in the middle of the tribulation. So what are you doing? So some pose the solution that when it says after the tribulation, it doesn't mean after all of the tribulation. It means after part of the tribulation. And I had a multiple, I've seen that in multiple sources, right? I've seen that from multiple sources. That, I mean, isn't that convenient? Hey, after the tribulation of those days means after, I mean, couldn't it could be written after the middle of the tribulation? After part, like during, wouldn't it even be better to say in the middle of the tribulation? I mean, to say after the tribulation doesn't only means after part of the tribulation. You, what are you doing to accomplish that? You're reading something into the text that's not there. We can't do that. So this poses all kinds of problems. So there's the first problem. It's the chronology. After the tribulation. What's the second problem? Well, the first is the chronological problem. The second is the event problem. Because what is the event that is supposed to occur? Sun is darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. That sounds like some pretty significant events. All right? So, first, here's here's the event problem. Did that happen right after 70 A.D.? 
No. I mean, you would hope if all of that happened, it would have, supposedly this would have an absolutely profound impact on even the existence of the earth. Okay, so, so that, that we would know that if it happened, right? So it didn't happen after 70 AD. Secondly, to say that it's going to happen, happen after the tribulation, that this happens after the tribulation, we have to go back to the chronological problem. All right. So what do we do? Well, here is the preterist solution, and that's what we're going to work on tonight. All right. The preterist solution, as everyone knows, they believe that this is not speaking of a literal sun, a literal moon, or literal stars. That this is using a language that is used throughout the Bible to describe the destruction of a kingdom, a city, or a nation. That's the argument they put forth. Now, those listening online who participate in the Bible study exercise, they sent me all of their homework because I asked everyone to gather every verse they could find in regards to this. So I'm going to use one of the individuals who sent me their homework because they have it right here in a nice little chart. They sent this on May the 12th at 10.07 p.m., all right? And they just entitled it Sun, Moon, Stars, all right? It's all right here, nice and neat, okay? So I, I didn't have to do anything. I just asked them to do it, and they do it for me. That makes life great. All right, here we go. So this is what we have to do. First, we have to see, do other places in the Bible use this language? If it does, that raises problems. What problems does that raise? Well, the problem is these, these events could only happen one time. Okay, they, they, can't, they can't happen over and over and over and over and over again, right? Okay, okay, yeah, the sun goes out, the moon goes down, stars fall from and then it happens again, and, and then it happened again, and then it happened again. So that means we would have to take all of this language and say that it all describes the exact same event. So that's going to be a chronological problem. You see where we're going to end up to the same kinds of problems? chronology, and the event itself. Wait, it, do you see what I just tried to establish? These problems are going to happen everywhere. So where do we go first? Well, I, people, well, I, I don't have time to check the comments. So I'll just assume people are answering online. Here we go. We're going to go to Isaiah. For those participating in the Bible study exercise, they know this. We've talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. All right, Isaiah chapter 13. All right. Everybody ready? Okay. Thinking cabs on. All right. Everybody ready? Isaiah 13, verse 1. What's the first very important thing you need to realize? This is the burden of Babylon, or the NIV says, the what? The oracle concerning Babylon. Is that how it's written? Right? And this translation I have here says, if I can find it, a pronouncement concerning Babylon. All right, so we have an oracle. We have a burden. We have a pronouncement concerning Babylon. Now, what's the first question we should come to your mind? Which Babylon, right? Is this referring to the Babylon that existed when Isaiah wrote, or is this some future Babylon? Okay, right? Would that be it? Because, because we got to remember, what, kind, what are the two problems we're going to have? chronological, in the event itself, right? So if this is referring to the destruction of a future Babylon, then we have to know when is the future Babylon going to be destroyed and then see if that fits all of the chronologies, right? Because, Isaiah, uh, because Matthew 24 says it happen, happens after the tribulation. Is Babylon destroyed after the tribulation or is a Babylon destroyed during the tribulation? Is, or do we even refer to that Babylon? Okay, now according to the MacArthur sermon I reviewed, he places these events as happening 
somewhere in the future. This has nothing to do with the Babylon at that time. Once again, and Matthew 24 has nothing to do with 70 AD. Just everything that relates to the past just gets obliterated, and it's all about the future. Well, let's see if this works. Everybody ready? The burden, if I can read right, the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, did see. Okay, lift up a banner upon the high mountain, exalt the voice unto them, shake the hand that they may go in to the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger, uh, even them that rejoice in my highness. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like of as a great people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together, the Lord of hosts mustereth the host of the battle. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven, even the Lord, and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be, um, be amazed one at another. Their face shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Verse 10. What happens in verse 10? For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light and the sun shall be darkened in his going forth and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil uh, and the wicked for their iniquity and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I shall shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place and the wrath of the Lord of hosts and the day of his fierce anger. Very similar language, right? Not, not exact, but similar. Now, what questions should we ask right here? First, is that talking about the destruction of Babylon at the time of Isaiah, or years into the future. If it is, then did that stuff literally happen? Well, we don't think that stuff literally happened, correct? So then what do we have to do? We have to try to put the, the verse, this describing something that happened where? In the future. Does that work? Can you think of anywhere in the future of a destroyed Babylon? Future for us. I, I mean, does anybody know the book of Revelation here? Okay. Is there something in Revelation? Gra- grab a Bible dictionary. Let's, let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. Let's look up Babylon. Let's just, let's just see if this works. See if this works. Not saying this is going to help us, but we're going to try everything here. Well, we'll, we'll, I'm not going to just lead you to answers. We're going to see if we can find answers at the same time. Right? Does that work? All right. Now, I'm not going to... If I try to read all of this, right, that will be the end of our study for tonight. (laughs) All right? So, I'm not going to try to read all of this. I'm going to give you... A couple of, uh, here's what I'm going to do, all right? Well, first of all, let's read the, we'll read the first paragraph together. Uh, Babylon, city of, everybody see that on page 148? Everybody see it? Okay, I'll wait till everybody's there. Everybody there? Okay. Um, all right, yeah, I think, I think we can, there's some of this stuff we can skip, but we can read the first paragraph. The ancient walled city, 
between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and the capital of the Babylonian Empire. The, uh, the leading citizens of the nation of Judah were carried to this city as captives where? When? In 586 B.C., after Jerusalem fell to the invading Babylonians. Biblical writers often portrayed this ancient capital of the Babylonian people as the model of paganism and idolatry, right? Then it gives you a lot of information about the city, does it not? Okay, we could read all along about it. And then look at what happens at the the very, go to the end of page 148. The books of Isaiah and Jeremiah predicted the downfall of Babylon. This would happen as God's punishment of the Babylonians because of their destruction of Jerusalem, their deportation of the citizens of Judah. Now, did he predict it and was it destroyed? Well, I, I would. I, I think we can say yes. Okay. They say to, now. They say today the ruins of this city. All right. Now wait a minute. If today there are ruins, when this uh, Bible dictionary was written, that means the city was what destroyed. Imagine that. And happened when. Yeah, five thirty nine. It falls to Cyrus. Right. Okay, Xerxes plunders it. Anything else? Yeah, basically it was taken, destroyed, plundered, and they're, they're trying to be rebuild it, but basically today it's in ruins, right? So the bottom line is it was destroyed. It's a, it's a historical fact. All right? In fact, here they, they talk about this would happen as God's punishment uh, this would happen as God's punishment of the Babylonians because of their destruction of Jerusalem and their deportation of the citizens of, of Judah. They give a couple of scriptures. Let's look these up really quick. Go to Isaiah 14.22. What does Isaiah 14.22 say? You, tell, you just tell me what it says for time's sake. All right, yeah, he's telling he's going to rise up against the Babylonians and he's going to cut them off. They're going to be destroyed. How about uh, chapter 21, verse 9? Isaiah 21, 9. What does he say there? Isaiah 21, 9. All right, talks about being destroyed. Everybody see that? All right, Isaiah 43, 14. Isaiah 43, 14. All right, so again, once again, talking about judgment against Babylon. Go to the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 50, verse 9, I believe. Isaiah 50, verse 9. Tell me what you see in Jeremiah 50, verse 9. You find something similar. Okay, so uh, they're going to be judged. They're going to be destroyed. How about I, or, or Isaiah? Jeremiah 51, 37. Jeremiah 51, 37. What happens here? <laughs> it's going to be in ruins. And then, what, look how the dictionary says right after that verse. Today... The ruins of the city stand as an eloquent tes- testimony to the passing of a proud of proud empires and the providential hand of God, meaning it was 
destroyed. So, you would have to try to argue that, wait, in Isaiah 13, when it talks about the destruction of Babylon, wait, wait, no, 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 that wasn't the destruction of Babylon then, that's the destruction of the Babylon in the future. Why? Because it talks about the sun, the moon, and the stars, and you're like, but that didn't happen. And I understand the, the desire to do that, but you have to deal with the fact that in reality, once again, This is what happens over and over. They want to ignore the things that really happen that we have historical testimony of to look for something that hasn't even happened yet. Why do you want to ignore what we have actual records of to look for something that you are thinking will happen? All right? that, That has to be at least considered, correct? All right, now, stay with me. Go to the next part, though, in the dictionary. Wait, Babylon in the New Testament. Now this becomes significant, does it not? In the book of Revelation, the world in rebellion against God is called, ah, now wait a minute, that, this could possibly work, right? This could possibly work. Now, is this the Babylon Possibly in reference in Isaiah 13. Probably not, but I'm willing, to, I'm willing to work with anything, right? Okay, I'm willing to work with anything. Now, what do they say about this? The world is going to be referred to as Babylon. The Old Testament prophets often prophesied the fall of Babylon, the capital of an empire that destroyed God's city, Jerusalem, and carried his people away as captives. So in Revelation, Babylon is a word picture for a society that persecuted God's people, but that God will eventually destroy. So the argument is that the the book of Revelation uses it as a word picture. Okay, maybe it does. But if it's going to be referred to as Babylon, is it possible any of those Old Testament prophecies have a future connection? Maybe, maybe not. All we need to do is see when it talks about the destruction of Babylon in Revelation, does it put the darkening of the sun, the moon, the stars, and all of that happening after its destruction? If so, then we've established the chronology. We may be able to resolve the event and the chronology. Let's see what they say. All right? Let's see what they say. When the book of Revelation was written, Babylon may have been a kind of code name for pre-Christian Rome. All right? Now, this tries to get into all the, that Revelation is written in secret code. I can't stand that. I hate that. Because who knows the secret code? And if it's written in secret code, what hermeneutic do you use to, re, to interpret a secret code? You've got to find the person who has the secret code. <laughs> Therefore, you need a magisterial authority. Okay, well, that's just, I, I, yeah, that whole thing had problems. All right. But okay, which was built on seven hills and which was already persecuting the church. Since that time, generations of Christians have been able to identify their own Babylons and have found reassurance in Revelation's message. Now, this is taking the idea that Revelation is just a code for anything evil that's going to hurt Christians and how it will ultimately be destroyed, and it has no... It's more of an allegory than anything tangible, but okay. We, uh, we, we can go... All right, next. And Revelation what? 14.8. Everybody look at Revelation 14.8. Does Revelation 14.8 speak of an ex- a Babylon existing in that verse, or does it speak of it in past tense or future tense? Or present tense? All right, chapter 14, verse 8 speaks of the destruction of Babylon. Everybody got that? Now, what do we need? I need you to find in Revelation where it talks about the moon, the sun, the stars. I need you to find where all of that goes horribly wrong. Sun, moon, stars. The, the very things that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24. Tell me where you find it. Those online, I know you've already, I know I can already look at your homework and already see what you've done, but I've got to work through it this way for now. 
right? Book of Revelation. If you need to look it up, sun, moon, stars, you can just put it in a, a, a blue letter Bible app. You can find it that way really quick. Sun, moon, stars. Book of Revelation. You can, ex- you can skip the first four chapters. Okay. Okay, so there, there you go. I've narrowed it down. Okay. Chapter 20, the very last two chapters, probably not going to be much help. All right, so I'm narrowing it down for you. Okay. In fact, just start and go to five. And th- where did we just read? What, what verse did we just read? What chapter and verse did we just read? 14.8, right? Okay, then go, look from 5 to 14. There you go. I've just now narrowed it down even more. We've already looked this up. Like, oh, there we go. Okay, Revelation 6 and Revelation 8. Okay. So let's go to Revelation chapter 6. 6.13, and tell me what happens in chapter 6, verse 13. The sixth, the sixth seal is opened. Does everybody see the sixth seal being opened? Right? Verse 12, and behold, when he had opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell from the earth, even as fig trees catheth her untimely figs, which she has shaken of a mighty wind, and the heavens departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. That sounds very similar to the Isaiah passage, does it not? But it also describes some of the things Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. Now wait a minute, we've got to figure all this out, right? Because in Isaiah, we have the sun, moon, and stars happening. Jesus talks about that it's going to happen. And then this happens before the destruction of the Babylon, which happens in chapter 14, right? Okay, right. So the whole cha- But all of that, now the question is, is revelation in any kind of chronological order. Now you've got to start trying to weave these together because Jesus says that this is going to happen when? After the tribulation. Now I've got the sun, moon, and stars happening in the sixth seal. When is Babylon destroyed? The sixth seal? Or is it destroyed? When is it destroyed? Now we've got a major chronological issue happening. Isaiah mentions it. Jesus mentions it. Revelation mentions it. Nobody can tell me the chronology. What does the Bible dictionary say? Do they offer any insight here? In Revelation 14.8, Babylon's power to make people resist God's claims in the gospel is admitted, but its doom is certain. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 19, Babylon is a great city that falls because God remembers its sins and brings his punishment. Throughout chapter 17 and 18, Babylon is prominent, pictured as a prostitute because it seduces people away from God with its glamour, but it is a, but it is a false union that cannot satisfy. Babylon stands over against the church, the new Jerusalem, which is the bride, the lamb's wife. God reveals the mystery of divine truth about it and all man-made societies that are organized independently of God. Its fall is celebrated by God's people where? Revelation 18.20 and 19.1-5. All right. So that would mean it has to be destroyed somewhere between 14.8, where it seems to be, uh, that it's seeming to be telling us it's going to be destroyed, right? But then they, it seems that it's going to be destroyed somewhere around before chapter 18. Because in cha- look at chapter 18, verse 20. Look at Revelation 18, 20. Revelation 18.20. What does it say? Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and uh, apostles and prophets. God has judged her for her the f- way she treated you. 
Okay, and who's that that they're celebrating? It's all about Babylon. All right. So they're rejoicing over its destruction in chapter 18. Now you see the issues? Six. Wasn't it chapter six where we had the moon stars? Chapter 8, verse 12, we have similar things happening again. That seems to be way before I get to 18. Yeah, uh, chapter 6 was the sixth seal. Chapter 8 is, uh, you see, it's not the seal. It's the trumpets. It's the trumpets. Now, some link these together, and you have to try to figure it all out. Are they, are they the same? Are they different? The bottom line is the chronology starts falling apart. Because if we go to Isaiah 10, or Isaiah, was it 11? I'm sorry. Isaiah 13, I should say. Isaiah 13, it says this happens in conjunction with the destruction of Babylon. Right? Is that what it says? All right. Well, that revelation doesn't put it in conjunction with the destruction of Babylon. So how can you just artificially say this, this is the Babylon destroyed in Revelation? How do you just automatically just make that happen? I wish I could. Jesus says it happens after the tribulation. Well, that doesn't help me because Revelation 6 and 8 clearly is not after the tribulation. So does it happen two times in the second part of the tribulation? Or is 6 in the first part of the tri- Like now you've got to try to figure out where the three and a half years, okay, you've got to go through all of that. We need, we, that's why many people, when it comes to eschatology, you have a chart the size of this building to just try to figure it out because this becomes maddening. Or what's another option? God uses very symbolic language to describe the destruction of a nation or a city. I'm not saying it's perfect, but there's one. So there's Isaiah 13, all right? We try, we tried to, we try, everything we did to resolve it only led to what? Which problem did it keep coming up back to? The chronology, not just, and the event itself, because you're like, how many different times can it occur? It happened in Revelation 6, it happens in Revelation 8. I guess it's supposed to happen at the end when Babylon is destroyed. That would be three times just in the book of Revelation. But the third one is not mentioned in Revelation. Does it mention that the sun, moon, and stars when uh, Babylon is destroyed? No. It mentions it in chapter 6 and chapter 8 before. So there's a problem. Matthew, Jesus talks about it at the end of the tribulation. Well, then, I'm, I, I, at this point, how many times does it happen? Fifteen times the sun and moon is going to go away, but it will come right back so that it can go away again. At some point, it starts becoming a little absurd. All right, go to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah 60. Say that again, I'm sorry. Well, I'm highlighting that the order is a problem. The event is a problem because how many times can the event occur? Right? If the event is literal, you do realize there's only so many times you can get rid of the sun, moon, and stars. Does everyone realize that, that that's a problem? Okay. All right. Now, Isaiah chapter 60. Anybody know where this happens? Well, let, well, well, first we'll go to verse 19. Yeah, Isaiah 60, verse 19. All right, everybody ready? The sun shall be no more, that light by day, neither for brightness, shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon Withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. All right? What is that referring to? Look, look for any context and see what you can find. Uh huh. 
Okay. This almost sounds like they're like new heavens, new earth, end of everything kind of thing, right? Doesn't it kind of sound like that? I don't know if this would, does this one really, this doesn't really fit in with the Matthew 24 thing. Well, I guess in some ways it fits in with the Matthew 24 because it would be after all tribulation. It wouldn't fit in with the Revelation 6 or 8, which is going on in the middle of the tribulation. Yeah, it's very figurative, but it seems like it's the, like everything is over. It's the culmination of everything. It's almost like new heavens, new earth kind of thing. Would you agree? Yeah, that everything is over and everything is finished. Would you agree that that's the kind of language being used here? In other words, I, it does use sun, moon, and stars, but I can't really connect it. I can't connect it with Revelation 6 and 8. Do what? Yeah, uh, verse 21. Thy people, also shall, uh, thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The brand, yeah, this is, this, has, this is millennial kingdom stuff. This is millennial kingdom, new heaven, new earth stuff. So that, that, you could put that with Matthew 24 in the sense that if you say the tribulation, remember what we said about the tribulation? If we take the tribulation going from 70 A.D. all the way to well, you'd have to go to the, literally the end of the millennium, right? Because what happens at the end of the thousand-year reign? Satan is loosed, and there's a mighty war, and everybody is destroyed, and the earth is destroyed, and then there's a new heaven and a new earth. No, the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial reign. Yeah, yeah, we're not there yet. Okay, we haven't happened yet. So in other words, you'd have to understand tribulation in Matthew 24 to go from 70 AD all the way to the new heavens and new earth. And at that, at that point, the sun, moon, stars, and all of that would be gone, right? So that's the only way to make Matthew 24 work. That doesn't fit, fix Isaiah 13 at all. That doesn't even help us with Isaiah 13. Okay, and then the whole Babylon thing. But this verse seems to be placing it somewhere, I don't know, somewhere else. So this one, I'm not going to have a, ma- I'm not going to make a major issue of this one, okay? Oh, well, not, not, yeah, that's a good point. This clearly is not the same event as being described in Isaiah 13. That's a very good point. You know why it's a good point? How many times can the sun, moon, and stars go away? Yeah, this is talking about something completely different than what Isaiah 13 is talking about. That's a very good point. So we already are running into, once again, we're running into what? The chronological and the event problem. The event can only occur one time, right? <laughs> okay, that, there's, only, there's only one sun and moon, okay? At some point, you, we have to be willing to acknowledge that. Well, he can, okay, but if it happened in the past, I don't know, there would be, hey, do you remember that time when there was no sun or moon and it completely fell to the earth? I think, I think everybody like, I think we remembered that, okay, because the earth would be destroyed. Yeah, I mean, okay. All right, go to Jeremiah chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 2. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it from the uh, translation I have it here in these notes. Okay, at, at that time, declares the Lord, they will bring out the bones of the kings of Judah, the bones of its leaders, the bones of the priests, the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem from their graves. They will spread them out to the sun, the moon and all the heavenly lights which they have loved, which they have served, which they have followed, which they have sought, which they have worshipped, they will not gathered, they will not be gathered nor buried, they will be like dung on the face of the ground. All right. Now that mentions sun, moon, and stars, but it doesn't talk about anything falling. they're just giving us every place where these things appear, not necessarily where something falls. So that's perfectly okay. I just want us to see it. We don't wanna we don't wanna do what? Skip anything. We don't want to leave any 
stone unturned. All right? Everybody see that? Okay? So nothing of, makes, of major significance there. All right? Um, this is interesting. Go to Jeremiah 31. This is very interesting. And we talked about this in the past. Yeah. We talked about this. We spent a lot of time on this one. All right. Jeremiah 31. All right. Now, why is this chapter significant? Look at verse uh, Jeremiah 31, 31. Everybody remember this? Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. All right. Everybody wants to make that covenant about us, but this says it's made with whom? The nation, right? Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers, clearly not referring to us, referring to Israel, right? On the days that I took them by the hand and bring them out of the land of Egypt, clearly that's not us, that's them, which my covenant they break, clearly speaking of them, not us, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and, and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, immediately you're like, whoa, that, when, where, did this, how did this, what happened? Right? Agreed? They shall teach no man, no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. That's the national salvation of Israel. All right? Thus saith the Lord, which I thus saith the Lord, which give the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea, when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. What does that mean? Oh, I know it's a promise. Yeah, as long as the sun, moon, and stars there, what do we know? His promise to Israel is still in effect. Well, just any time a Jew goes outside and sees the sun, moon, and stars, what are they supposed to know? God's covenant has not gone away, and it will be fulfilled. All right, so that means the sun, moon, and stars couldn't have fallen in the past, right? Now, this raises some major issues, though, doesn't it? Well, obviously, it's never been fulfilled. No, it hasn't. Right. So, so will that promise apply to that? Well, it has to apply to the millennial kingdom. Right. right. Yeah, because there's no other... Way that I mean, there's no. I mean, that's the only time. You say if a Jew goes out today, let's say, I, I didn't know if that would apply to the. Yeah, the promise is still in effect. Okay. Yeah, the pro. In other words, as soon as they see the sun, moon, and stars, they know that the promise is still there. That's how they know the promise is still. He made the covenant; it hasn't been fulfilled yet, right? Okay. It would be like, it would be like you. Oh, okay, okay. Do you see? Do you see what I'm saying, or am I misunderstanding? Yeah, he made a promise to them. And as long as the sun, moon, and stars are there, that promise is, is still there. And they just haven't received it yet. But it, it says, hey, do you see those sun, moon, and stars? God made a promise with us, and that's the proof that the promise is, is coming. Because until, when that goes away, then the promise would go away. Now, what's interesting is in Revelation, once the sun, moon, and stars go away, we go into... The millennial kingdom. Now, the only problem is you have things happening to the sun, moon, and stars in chapter 6 and chapter 8, and you don't have the millennial kingdom to, re to Revelation chapter 20. But at least it's still within close proximity to one another. Right? Yeah, uh, uh, chapter 6 and 8 is way before chapter 20. Right? right? So, but Jesus, and it's interesting, Jesus talks about that the sun, moon, and stars going away after the tribulation. 
So if he's talking about literal sun, moon, and stars, then after the tribulation, see, now the problem is we'd have to have the tribulation ending before the millennial kingdom. What are we running into problems with again? Chronological order, chronological order, chronological order. But this would clearly indicate that the actual, obviously, we, nobody here thinks the actual sun, moon, and stars went away in the past, right? Okay, now I hope nobody thinks that, okay? Clearly, that literally it's never happened, but here in Jeremiah, he's pointing to the literal sun and moon and stars as a proof to Israel that what? His covenant stands. Well, that that seems to be. I mean, that's where we. we that's where we. Yeah, here it doesn't talk about them going away, right? But I'm just saying he's pointing to the literal sun, moon, and stars and saying that's your proof. So clearly, they're going to be sticking around until Israel go, gets the promise, till the covenant is fulfilled. And that covenant obviously is not going to be fulfilled now, unless you're going to try again, unless you say that this covenant's not made with Israel, it's made with us. But that's just complete nonsense. There's, that just doesn't work. Uh huh. The, well, I mean, the problem, if you, make, if you make what he says about Babylon literal, when did it happen? It didn't happen in the past. Right, right. So that's yeah, right. So then Matthew 24 could be interpreted the same way. Because what do you have, what do you have happen in Matthew 24? The destruction of Jerusalem. What do you have in Isaiah 13? Destruction of Babylon. So two destructions, and both times after the destruction, sun, moon, and stars are said to have gone away, meaning that the sun, moon, and stars represent the nations or the city or the power. That's, that's the argument. That, that's the argument. I'm not saying it's perfect, but that's the argument, okay? We got to go, go to Ezekiel really quick. Chapter 32. We, this is the last one because it's 7 o'clock, all right? Ezekiel 32. And when you get to Ezekiel 32, I need you to tell me which nation it's being, is being spoken of here. Because some nation, I think, somebody's going to be destroyed here. Egypt. Oh, now we, no. It can't be. Now, now we have a completely different nation involved. All right? Now it's going to be hard to put Egypt where? In the book of Revelation. Because Babylon is mentioned. Oh, good point. Let, let's see what he says. All right, let's see what he says. Okay, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right, that's good, Bobby. That's good. That's good. All right, Isaiah 32. I think uh, you can see that it's Egypt. I think that's, they're mentioned in verse 1 through 6. Am I right or am I wrong? Okay, because I don't have them in front of me. Okay, all right. Let's go to verse 7. I will lay your flesh on the mountains. I will fill the valleys with your re- refuse. I will also make the land drink the discharge of your blood. As for the mountains and the ravines will be full of you. That does not sound like a good place to be. Okay, that sounds really bad. All right. And when I extinguish you, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon will not give its light. All the shining lights in heaven, I will darken over you and I will set darkness on your land, declares the Lord your God. Now, it's not, it's not the same. I think if we, yeah, but it doesn't talk about the stars falling. It does talk about the sun and the moon being darkened. Now, but it does seem to indicate the reason they're going to be darkened is because a cloud is going to cover them. That's a little easier to explain, but it does use similar language and it it connects it with what? The destruction of Egypt. Now, let me just make it clear. Egypt is different than Babylon. Babylon and Egypt is different than Jerusalem, okay? And the Babylon of the past is different than the Babylon of the future. So now we have Babylon, Egypt, Jerusalem, and some future, and we have sun, moon, and stars being talked about in very similar ways. You see where we start developing some major issues, yes? 
We see a trend, we see, but chronology is having major problems here. All right? Now, um, there's still some more to look at, but we don't have time to do that. I'm just going to read quickly from the Preterist book, and then we're going to have to stop here. I don't know if we're getting... We didn't get as far as I wanted to, but we've worked through this, and I wanted you to see the problems. All right, here we go. Um, uh, here we go. Let me if I can find where this happens. All right. Um, I can find it. All right. I'll just do. I'll just do this. Um, Symbol and metaphor belong to the grammar of prophecy. As every reader of the Old Testament prophets must know, it is not reasonable that the doom of Jerusalem should be, or I'm saying, is it not reasonable that the doom of Jerusalem should should be depicted in language as glowing and rhetorical as the destruction of Babylon or Basra or Tyre? How then does the prophet of Isaiah describe the downfall of Babylon? Isaiah 13, 9, 10 through 13. We've already read it, yes? All right. The imagery employed by Isaiah is striking in its parallel to that of the language used by Jesus in the Olivet Discourse. This is one of the strongest points that uh, some preterists can make. He continues by, uh, by citing other Old Testament passages that employ the same type of imagery. Look at, uh, did, we looked at Isaiah 34, did we not? No, look at Isaiah 34, 3 through 5, just quickly. Now, it's not the specific language, but you're going to see something very similar. We'll have to stop with this one. Yeah, see, there you go. You once again. Yep. Now look at it. Uh, the pro- this, and, well, this is uh, the prophet and Isaiah announces the desolation of Basra, the capital of Edom, and the following language: The mountain shall be melted with the blood of the slain. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved. The heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as a leaf. Uh, falleth off from the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree, for my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Edomia. Here again, we have the very language used by our Lord in his prophetic discourse, and if the fate of Basra might properly be described in language so lofty, why would it be thought extravagant to employ similar terms in describing the fate of Jerusalem? So now, we not only, listen to what we have, We have the destruction of Babylon described in similar language. We have the destruction of Egypt in using similar language. We have the destruction of Jerusalem used in similar language. We have the destruction of Basra used in similar language. And we have at least something going on in Revelation 6 and 8 using similar language. Does anyone see a problem? Not all of those are talking about the same event. There's no way to make it work. It can only happen... Once. Meaning that clearly this language is used when talking about the destruction of a nation or a city. Which could possibly mean that this language used in Matthew 24 is symbolic to describe the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and has nothing to do with any future. In fact, trying to make it fit. So therefore, the tribulation of those days refers to what? Destruction of the temple. And once it's destroyed, that's symbolically described with the sun, moon, and stars going away. A major event. And it's the destruction of Israel. For, I mean, for the practical point, it's the end of the Jewish age. It's gone. Israel's just gone for till 1948. And even now, they're not even anywhere close to what they're supposed to be. All right? Does that make sense? All right? I'm not saying it's perfect, 
But every other attempt you come up with, your chronology is going to just explode. On, I mean, you're going to have to have a chart with 37 arrows to try to make it work. You're going to have to have Egypt, Babylon, and Basra somehow being the same event. Well, where do you put it in Revelation? Because Babylon destroyed in Revelation happens after the moon saw, and then you've got to try to connect the sixth seal with, the, you see how you have to try to try to put this all together? It doesn't work. It's going to fall apart on you. It's not going to work. Matthew, well, so what are we figuring out? What's, it's best to understand Matthew 24 is pointing to what? What it says it's pointing to, 70 AD. Well, I don't know if, well, I, don't, can't, I can't speak, I know this. They would have been familiar with the language. With all the Old Testament passage. So they would have been familiar with it. And I, I'm assuming they would have known that when Babylon and all of that happened, the sun, moon, and stars didn't literally go away. All right? That's, that's the best we can come up with. It's not definitive. Now, I'm going to get emails, people, but what about, what about, what about? What? I, look, I, you can be yelling all the whatabouts. I, I, I didn't create the problem. Like, it's always weird how people seem to get upset at me. I didn't create the problem, right? What, is the pro- what are the two problems? Chronology and the event. The, what's the chronological problem? You've got multiple pl- places that you can't all just put them together and say, nope, this happened right here in the book. It doesn't fit. Nowhere, no matter how much you try. Oh, it can happen here and there. Okay. I need you to uh, make sure you bring that Bible the next time. Because, no, I want to read directly. Mark the spot. Because I want to read directly what he has to say. Because I'm willing to hear, hear it. I bet you it doesn't work, but I'm willing to hear it, okay? I'm willing to hear it because uh, everything I've listened, watched, it just, it doesn't work. It's like, hey, just, it's all future, but it could happen here, here, here. Like, it can only happen once, people, okay? It can't happen 15 times in Revelation, all right? It, it's, it's, okay. Oh, okay, and there. Okay, all right. Well, maybe, may, maybe, but then you still got Basra and you still got Egypt. You, do you realize? And not only that, it's mentioned again, similar language is mentioned in, I think, Habakkuk. I think it's mentioned in, I think there's a number of other places where it's used. How many different times do we need? I mean, like, I've got all the places where it's used and you're just going to be at some point like, this doesn't work. It doesn't work. But I'll, I'll more than happy read it. So let's go through it again. What are the two problems? Chronology and the event. The event problem is what? We have records of similar events supposedly occurring. Babylon, Basra, Jerusalem, Revelation 6, Revelation 8. Okay? Yo, oh, and Egypt, yeah. So we got Babylon, Egypt, Basra, Jerusalem, and then two times in Revelation. And that's even before the destruction of Babylon in Revelation. We got all, we, so the event problem, how many different... So you've got to try to find a way then to do what? Fix, take all of those events and put them together in some chronology and no matter how good you are at your chronology, it's going to fall apart. Just not going to work. Not going to work. It would be impossible to put them in the same event. Different countries, different everything. Yeah. And, and even if you did, like Babylon, you have, the, you have at least... Something that you could go, okay, Babylon's mentioned in Revelation. Yeah, like you, could, you can do something with that one, right? Okay, how about Egypt? How about Basra? Now, now you're going to be like, okay, well, okay, it doesn't mention them, but it had to happen here. Well, then, then you're telling me that when he's promising the people Isaiah's writing to that these countries are going to be destroyed, that he's really not talking about the destruction then, he's talking about some destruction... The whole thing just begins to fall apart. It's just, at some point, you just have to lay on the floor and say, just stop talking, okay, because I can't handle it anymore. I mean, it's just the event and the, the chronology doesn't work. Now, listen, do I think it's perfect to say, oh, well, it's just symbolic language? No. Why does that create problems? That, what problem does that create? A hermeneutical problem. 
I don't like that either. So no matter which direction you go, what are you going to end up with? Problems. What did I say? I said this multiple times. We're going to end Matthew 24, and it's, it's not, it's, it's, un, it's impossible to interpret. There's, there's such, there's just, it's, 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 it's beyond our ability. Yeah, but I'm, even if you use hyperbolic language, when does something become hyperbolic? Like now you've got a, a hermeneutic where you have to include, okay, well, it's hyperbolic. When, did, when do you get to decide it's hyperbolic? When do you get to decide that it's allegorical? That creates hermeneutical problems. So, so no matter which direction you go, it's going to be... There's parts of it that clearly is 70 AD. So my argument is, since most of it seems to point that direction, then just from a, a reading comprehension, this would tell me, well, then I have to apply this to 70 AD. I have to. And if I try to appoint it, and if I point it to the future, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. So in other words, the text would be giving me a clue. The text would be giving me a clue. Because trying to put it in the future, I got to then say after the tribulation doesn't mean after the tribulation. It means in the middle of the tribulation. Okay, well then, well, but Babylon is not destroyed during the middle of the tribulation. And Isaiah says it happens after the destruction of Babylon. So I'm still back to which other problem? The chronological problem. So no matter what I do, it becomes an issue. All right, we'll stop right there. All right, I know it's going to get 900 questions, but uh, at some point I, I'm going to just run out. I don't have any answers for you, okay? You can argue all day. Look, and the people who want to argue, argue. I mean, go ahead. You just, if you think you've got it figured out, then great. Write a book on it, okay? <laughs> because if, if you think, because I'll get these emails, it's so simple. I don't know what you're making it complicated. And I'll give their explanation. I'm like, it's so simple that you completely don't see the contradiction in your own words. Like, you violate everything here. You don't have the chronology right. Well, the chronology doesn't matter. Well, isn't that convenient? Guess when chronology doesn't matter? When it doesn't fit your conclusion. <laughs> Guess when language doesn't matter? When it doesn't fit your conclusion. Well, if that's the way you want to do Bible study... Well, then, guess what? You can make it say whatever you want it to say. And I don't, I'm not willing to play those games because I don't have a team to win. I don't have a team to fight for. I, I just want to know what the text means. And there's so much I can't figure out. So, all right, we'll stop right there. Look, God, we come for you this evening. We've been working on this chapter now for about 25 hours plus. This has been a very long study. But, Lord, I pray that we have covered everything that we can possibly cover up to this point. We'll still have to work a little bit on this to try to wrap this up. And then I've given homework for the rest of this week. I pray that those who are participating, doing the homework, will find that that's somewhat comforting in what we're doing this week for the Bible study exercise and that we will bring this hopefully to the best conclusion we can and that when it's all said and done, we will have gained some great insight for, from something within this very complicated chapter. And we ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said...